Hello again, and welcome to the Bold Love Podcast with Pastor Bob Roberts, Jr. Here we highlight the uncommon journeys of bridge builders and peacemakers that are living out their faith in the public square by boldly loving their neighbor and working together to build resilient communities. My name is Josh Tate, and here we are three episodes deep into season one. And we will, just so you know, we will be releasing episodes every other week through 2020. And so at the end of 2020, that'll wrap up about eight or nine episodes, and that will be the end of our season one. And we're doing this podcast specifically this season because we want to tell these stories and facilitate conversations uh, that will encourage you, the listener, to live out your faith boldly, how to better love your neighbor, and learn how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. So I hope you had a chance to listen uh, to our first couple of episodes so far with Pastor Bob. Uh, the first one with Imam Mohammed Majid and their second episode with Russell Moore from the ERLC. Both of these episodes just are really great starting points to why we do what we do around the world and uh, in the U.S. and how our faith drives us to love people despite our differences, which I think we can all agree is much needed in our country today. Um, today, we do have the privilege of speaking with Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, who is the president of Zaytuna College, the first accredited Muslim liberal arts college, and it's based in California. Um, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf was ranked by the Muslim 500 as the 25th most influential Muslim worldwide. And he has such an amazing story. Uh, he also serves as vice president of the UAE-based Forum for Promoting Peace and Muslim Societies. So he also has a plethora of books that he's authored and co-authored as well. So we have such a great uh, episode coming up and we're honored to have him and to be able to tell stories on his kind of life altering event that made him turn uh, to religion and, and religious studies, um, kind of his story of converting to Islam coming from a family that wasn't Muslim at all. And really just the captivating conversation that Bob and Hamza is going to have on really important topics uh, in society today and also on the topic of who is Jesus. But before we dive into this episode, if you're a loyal listener, first, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'd love for you, uh, if it has impacted you so far, uh, rate and review the podcast. We would love for you as we continue our shameless plug right here <laughs> to encourage you to go ahead and share it with others on your social media. We want as many people to hear uh, these stories as possible. And also for full show notes and past episodes and the full transcript to this, you can go to bobrobertsjr.com. That's bobrobertsjr.com slash podcast. So here we go. I hope you're ready. Get ready if you're not and buckle up for this one. Take a listen to our interview with Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. on the Bold Love Podcast. Here's what I want to know, Hamza, and, and I'm intrigued by this. Your dad 
was an Orthodox Christian. My dad was Catholic. My Catholic mom was Orthodox. Oh, my, my mom God. was Orthodox. So your dad's Catholic. Your mom's Orthodox. Your sister's Jewish. You're a Muslim. What the heck is going on with your family? Ca- California. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how does this happen? I mean, I mean California. California. This is a really messed up state. We're destroying the nation. Oh you have to understand. And God's destroying us. <laughs> I hear you. So how do you become a Muslim? You know, look, Muslim in Arabic means one surrendered to God. And that is the, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's, it's submission to the will of God. So the, every Christian who's really a true Christian is a Muslim linguistically. You know, the word in Arabic means submitted to God. And that's what every, every Christian wants to be, to be in a state of submission. Thy will be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven. And so a Muslim is one who's just sub- submitted or at least doing his best to be in a state of submission to the will of God. And the will of God is, it's only partially known through revelation, the Ten Commandments, and those things. But in every given situation or circumstance, we have to try to understand what would God, you know, the Christians say, what would Jesus do, right? Right. We have to try to determine what would God want me to do in this situation. If, you know, if I come across a homeless person, what does God want me to do in this situation? And so that's always the question trying to align, you know, the the problem with modern society is it's all horizontal. So the vertical alignment has been lost. And and previous peoples, even the pagans of the past, had a deep sense of vertical alignment. So I think modern people are just, they're so spiritually illiterate. And then we have what I... But I got to ask you this. I love this. This is incredible. But it's not every day I talk to a white... Muslim imam who has turned out to be one of the top Islamic leaders in the world. How, first why of, did you become a Muslim? How did first you become of, a Muslim? First of all, Bob, I'm Irish. Like, read our history. I'm Irish, too. I, I, well, that's, that's all the more reason. They call the fighting Irish because, you know, they've been fighting for a Donnybrook is a Donnybrook not for nothing. So you should have been a Catholic. Well, my mother uh, is half Greek, and she was half Irish, half Greek. My grandfather was very um, active in his later life. He was a very wealthy man. He'd made a lot of money. He actually started one of the first uh, Screenland magazine, which was a Hollywood magazine. And so he interviewed all the movie stars. And then he, from that, he sold that and went into oil and struck oil in Bakersfield. So he had an oil company, which is still traded. It's called Callum Petroleum. And, um, and so in his later life, he, you know, he had pretended to be uh, French because, you know, Greeks, he was a light-skinned Greek. And uh, Greeks at, at that time in the 30s and 40s and 50s, it was not cool to be ethnic in this country. Um, but in the 60s, he kind of rediscovered his, his uh, he was in church one day and they had up on the thing, what does a man gain if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? 
and and it really struck him because he'd been a man of the world and so he actually became very his his father what built the first greek orthodox church in san francisco which is still there on valencia street um it was the first orthodox church west of chicago so my grandfather was president of the greek orthodox church in ignacio and um and so i was raised in that i he actually sent us to greek uh, orthodox summer school in greece when i was 12 and and i you know i studied greek and um so when i was uh, 17 i i was in a very serious uh, car accident which led to a real deep um just reflection on 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 the transition, the possibility that I could have died in that accident. And I was 17 and I felt like embryonic spiritually, like I hadn't really done anything with my life spiritually. Um, and so my mother, who was actually, um, sh- she identified as a Buddhist most of, my, uh, most of my life. And she actually attended, she had a Sangai in Northern California that she attended. Um, and so she had raised us to believe that there's truth in all religions and, and not to that religion is largely uh, a, it's, it's just simply where you were born and the family you were born into. And there's an assumption that it's true. So she she really inculcated that in us early on. And I think that led to a kind of openness to religion as a concept. So, I got very interested at 17 in just really studying all the world religions and seeing. So I, I was taking a course reading uh, Houston Smith's, who became a friend later on, which is interesting. Uh, Houston Smith's book, The Religions of Man, which I now is they changed the title because man is no longer politically correct, I guess. But um, so uh, I started reading the scriptures of each of the books and I knew the Bible pretty well. I, I read the Bible a lot when I was a kid, I really liked the Bible and, 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 uh, and I, I'd studied Greek, New Testament Greek. Um, and, uh, I mean, you know, we've had lots of conversations. So, so, and I still love the Bible. I mean, it's a fantastic book. Well, you, you confuse me, Hamza. Uh-huh. I've, I've never <laughs> met. Well, first of all, you're an extremely smart man. So, I mean, you had reasons why you chose Islam. Right. I mean, what was it? I mean, you know, you know I felt better than both Christians. I mean, dude, you, you should have hung out with Jesus longer, but you, you, you decided to. I still do. That's, that's what you don't understand. The <laughs> nice thing about Islam is you get all of them. Like I get all of them. Like Jesus is my prophet and I love Jesus. I mean, genuinely love Jesus. And I look forward uh, to hopefully, God willing, to, to meeting Jesus uh, in the afterlife. So um, I, that's the nice thing about Islam. And I think, you know, I mean, you're, you know, Bob, I, I know about country dumb. And, 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 and somebody told me, like, don't be fooled by Bob, you know, because uh, and that was a professor of yours at Baylor who told me how smart you were. So oh, I know that. Great. I know that you just pretend to be kind of like, oh, ah, shucks. You know? <laughs> it's where it's so looking. true. He knows. Josh knows. <laughs> I know. I'm not, I don't want to say anything. but Yeah. So I, 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 I got you. Um, I, I totally so, get you. So anyway, so anyway, 
Um, you know, as you know, there were a lot of Michael Servetus, who, who was probably, I think he was the last person burnt at the stake in G Geneva. Yeah. Um, very unfortunate 16th century. But, you know, he felt that the Jews and the, the Muslims would not ever convert to Christianity unless we dealt with the Trinity. So the Trinity has just been a problem. Uh, it was a problem early on. And I think for me, that was really at the heart of my difficulty. Uh, I pretty much, I really love Christianity. You know, I, I still read uh, some serious Christian uh, authors and, uh, and, and it's, it's a beautiful religion. And, and I, and people, people like yourself that truly practice it are some of my favorite people. And, uh, and, 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 and I'll tell you something else. One of the few things, you know, one of the things that secularists hate more than anything else in the addiction uh, uh, industry is the, the most successful, single most successful uh, addiction recovery treatment plan was done by Christians because it's based on, on admitting that you are helpless and that you need God. And that, that works. So God works. God is real. And the people that will let God into his life, whatever iteration they find, and I believe this, and I'm not a perennialist. I, you know, people have accused me of that. In other words, I really do believe uh, in, in, in the final testament of the Quran. But I do recognize that God, had he wanted, he would have made us all one people. And that is Quranic. And, and so, it says vie with one another in virtue. And, and I think that to me is one of the beauties of Islam is that it really acknowledges other faith traditions and recognizes the goodness in them. And yet it sees itself as, uh, as, as a, uh, a final uh, testament. That's good. That's good. So when 9-11 came along, did you feel like, man, I followed the wrong religion now? All the Islamophobia, all the, all the suspicion. You know that if you're, if you're committed to God in any real way, the, the world is a trial and a tribulation, and that won't ever go away. The Christians are under immense pressure in many parts of the world. Um, and we know what's happening in China. We know what's happening in places like Iraq, where the, uh, these horrible um, ISIS-type people have taken over, or Syria and other places. So... The world is, is trial. One of my favorite um, essays is by Kierkegaard, uh, who, who it's called the School of Eternity, I think, in translation. But it's, a, it's from Hebrews that, that Christ learned obedience through suffering. And, and this, all we have to do is align ourselves. It's, the tribulations are going to come. And, and the thing to do is be aligned with God and to, to, to take them as bitter pills that are, you know, it's, I mean, it's interesting that so all the food that's good for you is like, doesn't taste very good. You know, <laughs> um, all the medicine that's not very good for you doesn't taste very. So it's, this is one of the things that God has done with the world. It's like things that are good for you tend to be distasteful um, and difficult, but, but what we get out of them, you know, what we get, out of eating well, we feel so much better. Well, what we get out of exercising, we feel better. And the same is true for just submitting to the tribulations of, uh, and trials of the world as gifts in reality from God, because 
what Kierkegaard says in that essay is that if you don't learn despair from suffering, uh, if you don't learn obedience from suffering, you learn despair. And, 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 and that's what's happening with, with, with people today. There's so much fragmentation. I mean, I would argue that there's two fundamental uh, mortal sins, to use a Catholic uh, tradition. There's two fundamental mortal sins in the United States. Um, I mean, there's a lot. I think we're, we're almost experts in, 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 in the seven deadly sins. You know, my dad <laughs> said by 40, everybody's an expert in at least one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, so, so, but acedia, which was poorly translated as sloth and acedia, they called it the fountainhead of the sins, which is, is a kind of, it's, it's basically a spiritual lethargy that you just don't, you're not interested in doing the work. And so you just put it off you and not think about You would say that's one of the two mortal sins? Lethargy. It's one of the seven. In America, very much so. I think that people do not think enough about the fragility of life. I mean, we just I lost uh, We just lost this um, uh, th- this uh, Supreme Court justice, uh, uh, Justice Ginsburg, and everybody's just fighting over the partisanship of it. They're not reflecting on you know, the fragility of life. And, yeah. the, and I have a hard time believing on her deathbed, she was really thinking about who's going to replace her. Yeah. I mean, I just, you're leaving the world behind. You yeah. know, you're, yeah. you're not looking back, you're looking forward, but uh, God knows. But anyway, and the second sin is lust. That it seems that our civilization is in the grip of the mortal sin of lust. And, and, uh, in the Summa, and he, and he riffs off uh, Pope Gregory, uh, but in the Summa, he talks about, uh, Aquinas talks about the daughters of lust. And the daughters of lust are, are the things that a person that's in that mortal sin of lust, and a mortal sin, right, we, we call it a kabira, but it's something to, that, that it's almost like a possession, so it's it's these people that have to go online and look at pornography every day. They're just, or they look at a woman and all they can think about is uh, lustful thought, or a man, or or whatever, you know. So, uh, but the daughters are very interesting to me because one of them is blindness of mind, you know, yeah. that you you can no longer think. Uh, We're just really acting right now in culture. I don't think we are thinking deeply. It's just like you slap me, I'm going to slap you back. It's all reactionary. Yeah, it's reactionary. So, the, and, and then thoughtlessness. Yeah. Thoughtlessness is, you know, people are, you see them, it's the lights are on, nobody's home, that kind of bovine stare that so many people have. And then inconstancy is another one, which, you know, is just, it's the whole ADD culture of online where people can't concentrate. They can't read deeply. They can't mm-hmm. think deeply. They're constantly preoccupied. They're on their Spotify or whatever they're on. You know, all these things that are distracting them. And all those distractions are ultimately an attempt to not deal with the fact that not only are we mortal, but that transition can happen at any time. And if we are indeed on the doors of eternity, literally on the doors of eternity, that's something to to take very seriously and at least consider it deeply. Give an example of the depth of, pre-modern people. When the camera was introduced into, in the 1830s, into our civilization, you will not find people laughing in a photograph until the 20th century. 
And no one's smiling, did, it seems. No one's smiling. And you know why? I really, I've thought about that a lot. The only, I found a few where they were kids. Smile. There's a beautiful uh, picture that Curtis took of some Hopi Indian kids that were smiling. But I think it would shows you they could smile. Um, but I think at the heart of it was a sense of, of recognizing that a moment in time was going to be captured and they wanted to present the type of person they were. And, and I think what they wanted to show was I'm a serious person. You know, that, that the world, you know, there's time for levity and, 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 uh, and fun and games, that's all, that's all valid. And, and, and all of us love that aspect of, you know, I mean, God put in us, we're in logic, we're defined as a risible creature, you know, somebody that can laugh. That's good. Right? Yeah. So that's how Aristotle defined us, uh, in, 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 not in our, in, in our, uh, the actual definition, but in our description, what they call the description. So, so, but, but they really were, I think, and the weightiness of the human being, like that we are weighty creatures. Mm-hmm. The Quran calls us thaqalan, the two weighty ones, meaning the, the, the spirits and, and the humans, you know, that we are weighty. And I think um, there's a, there was a very interesting film called Gravity. Did you see that? I love yeah. it. Yeah, that's a very profound spiritual film. You know, and, no, Hans, and, I think it's a picture of, of where we are. Absolutely. That's because, you know, when I think about substance and gravitas and you don't have to be smart, you can still think, you can evaluate. What does this mean? And, and I, I look at what's going on in our culture and what's going on in our society. And, and it's like we're driven by mobs instead of driven by our values and driven yeah. by our truths. And so we will buy a lie yeah. just because, oh, they said it and everybody, I'm with that tribe. So I'm going right. to take it. I hate K- it. K- Kierkegaard said in one of his uh, aphorisms, if you want to be loathsome to God, odious, you know, hateful to God, then do whatever the crowd is doing. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So going, going back real quick to question about Islamophobia in America, I know, and then even short attention spans, which you talked about as well. I know your team at Amir Stein Center produces videos, which we talk a little bit, you know, about before this interview, uh, really to address misconceptions of Islam. And actually, Pastor Bob did a video called Why Do Christians Hate Muslims? And it's going towards a million views you just mentioned. Right. So why, why do you think that this specific video or topic garnered so much attention to people? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, the, there was a little bit of clickbait in, in the title. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Christians, and I think Bob pointed that out, I think a lot of very devout practicing Christians uh, would not feel hatred uh, towards Muslims, but I think they have a very bad view of Islam. Right. And, and partly it's historical because there's been a cold and hot war between Christianity and Islam for about 1400 years. Um, and so, I mean, Islam was before Russia was uh, the enemy of uh, Western Europe and America, Islam was. And Islam, uh, the Muslims were, at, 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 you know, crossing the Pyrenees Mountains, you know, European literature, if, if, if I don't know if you had to read Norton's anthology, but when, when I was a kid uh, they, in high school, they, we, we studied Norton's anthology. And Norton's anthology, European literature begins with the Song of Roland, <laughs> which is about defending Europe against Islam. Uh, 
uh, it celebrates Roland's sacrifice. Um, and, and so uh, it's very interesting that, that, that we have that legacy, that we've inherited that legacy. But the reality of it is that the Christians of, of the Muslim world were, lived for centuries with the Muslims. And I, I, I'm not going to say it was all roses and, and, and just uh, kumbaya. I, I think that would be unfair to say that. But overall, there was a, a mutual coexistence um, that, that is a, very impressive for the pre-modern world. I mean, I don't, but we, you know, we, we celebrate diversity in America and in Western Europe, but these are very new things to us. We, we were not uh, very diverse or uh, even um, just accepting of other faiths. Whereas in the Muslim world, there, there was a longstanding tradition of, uh, of protecting other religions. So I think if I, I personally, I'm more worried about the Asian Americans than I am about the Muslim Americans in the United States. Um, most Muslim Americans can kind of just blend into the culture overall. Um, but I think we're moving towards a Cold War with uh, China. And, uh, and, and so I'm, I'm actually really concerned about the, the Asian Americans over time. I think there's going to be more aggression. And, and I saw that years ago. Um, yeah. And, and so I think overall, the Muslims are doing well in America. I mean, there definitely is, I, I would take it very seriously. Um, the, I don't like the term Islamophobia because a, a lot of the people that the Christians uh, are afraid of from the Muslims, I'm afraid of as a Muslim. Mm. So, uh, you know, I think, I, I don't think it's an irrational fear to be worried about uh, a kind of radical Islam, but that represents a, a tiny percentage of Muslims. Unfortunately, because the Muslims are 1.7 billion people, that tiny percent can be a lot bigger than it is in other uh, communities. I mean, the Jewish extremism in, in Palestine, if, if you actually correlate the numbers, there's, there's actually more Jewish extremists than there are Muslim extremists, not numerically, but in terms of the per capita of the two religions. So every religion suffers from extremism. You know, in Christianity there, I mean, these people that killed abortion doctors and things like that. Um, I mean, Christ, Romans 13, which is one of my favorite um, verses in the New Testament, you know, people forget that, you know, Paul um, telling to, to obey, and they did abortion in the Roman Empire. But yeah. but yeah, Paul, and, and, and you know you know what's amazing about Romans thirteen? People don't think about this, but I actually I've never read this, but I thought about it, and and I concluded he said that at a time when the Christians were being persecuted. He did, but read the whole thing. I mean, a lot of people just camp out on either the first half of Romans thirteen or the second half. I don't like the second half about the taxes. <laughs> hey, hey! I want to ask you, Bob. Why do you think evangelicals have that type of prejudice or fear? And why do you think that video was so popular on your side? Well, I think the video answers that. Let me add beyond our eschatology, beyond they don't know a Muslim. Uh, a couple of things I would add. I think first of all, I think Hamza's right. There's been this competition between Islam and Christianity uh, for 1,400 years. And I think Hamza is also right about something else. There are a lot of similarities. I've, I've read the Quran. And, and uh, most Christians, if they were to read the Quran, 
they would probably only disagree with 1% of it. And that has to do, that 1% is a big percent, Hamza. It's about Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the world, okay? Right. But, but beyond that, most of it, and so I think because it's one thing to, to uh, hate a religion that's opposite of yours. You will be more likely to become upset with a religion close to yours but right. a little bit on the essentials. So I think that's one of the reasons. No, 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 no. Come back to the Trinity and so forth. And the Trinity is a beautiful thing. You've got to admit those three chords that St. Gregory came up with. They sound good, Hamza. So the <laughs> Trinity is a good thing. I think that's a reason. Here's another reason, I think. I think uh, we were hammered. We didn't think about Islam. I mean, our first person to think about Islam was, was Muhammad Ali, the boxer. Right. And, and you have 1980 comes up with Iran and, and the hostage crisis that we faced. And then you had some terrorists come along. I don't know there was as much hate in Islam back then as there is now. I think it's been a fast moving thing. I, I think the competitiveness of the religions. I think for Christians, though, there is another thing. I've thought a lot about Hamza. Yeah. And here it is. As Catholics, we believe in original sin. As Protestants, we took it a step further. We believe in something called total depravity. Right. The problem with that is our first look at someone who's not a Christian, we really look at them and see a sinner. It's really easy to build caricatures of sinners. I think we should do what the Hebrew scripture says, Genesis 1, we should see man is created in the image of God. I think all of that together it changes our view of how I remember Hamza. I spoke at one of your events. I've, sp I've spoken at many mosques and synagogues and, and don't get upset with me, Hamza. But when I would first start speaking in mosques and synagogues, my first response was to get up and go in my own mind, I'm going to talk to all of these sinners. And over time that honestly changed Now, Hamza. I think you are a sinner and so am I, but here's yeah. what I believe. You are sacred in the image of God. Mm. Man, when I'm talking to somebody who I believe is created in the image of God, who is sacred, regardless of my understanding of heaven and hell and all of that, I have no right to look down on someone, and I'm not God. So I think I've been going through this evolution. I've not changed my mind about sin, but I don't start with sin. Right. Start with the love of God. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I think that's that's everything. Hamza, I want to ask you this. I'm curious. Do, do, do Muslims, I mean, for me, Christianity is all about love. That's the message of Jesus. I'm not saying we do a good job of it. What role <laughs> does love play in Islam? I love love is the highest of, of all the spiritual uh, virtues. Love. Yeah. Really? Because because peace comes from love. Yeah, I agree. It, yeah, it's 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 a daughter of love. I mean, look, the first in 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 the in the first very opening of the Quran, it's Bismillah in the name of God, and Allah is God. You know, Christian Arabs call God Allah, and and uh, in the name and oh, uh, you know, Ilah, which is in uh, it, it's one of the few Aramaic words in the New Testament. Ilah, Ilah, lima lima sabachthani. So, so even Christ used Ilah, which is a cognate of Allah, 
and 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 in, according to that iteration, if I mean, if 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 he indeed said that, so so the uh, you know the Muslims see love as the as the highest spiritual virtue, mahabba, and and uh, uh, and, and you know the, in in the New Testament, I think there's four. C.S. Lewis, I, I read his book, uh, The Four Loves. So you have agape, which is theos ane. Agape and John, he he mentions that. My Greek's a little rusty, but but you know God is agape, right? And so so that is that complete unconditional love. Well, we are the word for that in the in the Quran is is the divine name Al Wadud, which is the 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 God of agape of of and and it says in the Quran that if people are pious, God will put between them wood, which is agape. This or, you know, maybe in the New Testament, it's called philia, uh, you know, this kind of brotherly love, which is what our founding uh, country, you know, their first capital was Philadelphia. You know, this idea of, of a, a capital of brotherly love. Um, and, and, and so love is very important. I think, unfortunately, now Muslims are obsessed with justice. I'm not as interested in justice. Justice is very important and I don't belittle it, but the Quran does not begin in the name of God, the just, the avenger of wrongs. And, and I, think, I think love to me is a much more important uh, uh, and, uh, and mercy, you know, and forgiveness. You know, justice is important. I don't want to belittle justice and we would want a just government. But I don't want a society of people obsessed with justice. I'd much rather have a society of people that are spreading, uh, you know, empathy and mm-hmm. and compassion and and love for one another. Because I would, I would agree. Because Aristotle in the Nicomachean Ethics says, "Where there is love, there's no need for justice." It goes beyond. What humans would say justice is. Love always goes beyond. The problem is Jesus calls for a radical love. Okay, Hamza, I want to ask you something else. Do you study other religions like you study Christianity? I mean, my, my undergraduate degree was in uh, comparative religion. So, you know, I, and I still read, um, you know, I was just reading this morning a book on Unitarianism. Um, but I do... I, my library has, I mean, I have books from all the world religions and, uh, and probably outside of Islam, which is my primary study, uh, the, the, probably the, the tradition that has most informed me and, and, and that I benefited from is, is probably the, you know, the Christian, uh, tradition. but I've, I've read Jewish. I mean, I like, I, I mean, some of the Jewish rabbinical stories are amazing. Yeah, they are. So yeah. here's what you, you call me up. You quote scripture. You're talking to me. You, I've never met anyone like you, Hamza. You're brilliant. You're smart. You're warm. You're Muslim. And you love to talk about Jesus. Don't you want me to baptize you this next Sunday? <laughs> I mean, this is just, I've, I've never... I know when I read the scriptures, it does something to my heart when I read the New Testament. You'll call me yeah. up quoting Second uh, Timothy or Romans or anything else. I'm just curious. Do you, when you look at the New Testament scripture, I know it grabs your mind. Does it ever grab your heart? 
No, absolutely. I, I mean, the Bible to me, uh, I, ha I have a book, a Jewish commentary on the Proverbs. It's amazing. Um, so I, the, I consider the Bible revelation. I really do. And you do. Uh, so I do. what do you mean when, when Muslims say they believe that Christians and Jews are people of the book? Yeah, people of the book, you know, there's a very interesting book called, um, it's called uh, by Adam Kirsch that I, uh, that I got uh, a while back and really liked it. Um, it's called uh, um, The People and the Books. And it's about Jewish literacy. So he goes through all the famous Jewish uh, 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 books that have been read throughout the ages. And, but in the very introduction to that book, he says, Jews pride themselves on being people of the book. And he said, this is not a title that they uh, came up themselves. It was given to them by the Muslims and they took it as a badge of honor. And so Ahlul Kitab, if it was translated properly, it would literally mean, as you know, al-Biblios in Greek is the book. Right. And so Ahl al-Kitab are really the people of the Bible. So, so let me ask you this. As a Christian, I look at the Hebrew scriptures and I accept them as are. I mean, just as, they, as is, as they are. I know, but you don't, I, you do, but you also believe in abrogation. I mean, there's things that well, here's, you're not, not going to go out and kill any astrology. No, 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 because I believe Jesus fulfilled all of that. Romans 9, so, yeah. There we go, buddy. Dang, I'm going to turn you loose preaching on grace here. <laughs> if I preach, it's going to be on the Acts of the Apostles. Yeah. I know, I know. You've told me that you want to preach on the Acts. So, but here's my question. You believe, okay, I, I believe those books. I just believe Jesus is the Messiah who fulfilled them. So yeah. when you look at... Do you believe the same way? Like, okay, those books, I accept them as are. The New Testament, I accept it as is. There's, there's two opinions. The dominant opinion is that there were changes made. I mean, that's most Muslim scholars. Um, I have a, a, a colleague and a, and a friend, a brilliant uh, Iranian-American, uh, Dr. Ali Atai, who, who knows Hebrew, Greek, Arabic, and he's a real polymath and just uh, a brilliant intellect. He actually did his dissertation uh, making an argument uh, that th all, everything in the Gospels could be interpreted. Um, uh, it's almost Gnostic, so that, that becomes obviously dangerous. But there is an opinion, that was the opinion of Imam al-Ghazali, that the changes were in the understanding, not in the actual text. Although we know that there were, I mean, at the Council of Nicaea, there were several gospels on that table, you know, and then right. when they came in in the morning, only four were on, we, but who had the key to the room? Right. Yeah. So, um, so, so, and, and the gospels, uh, I mean, we know there's a cue there. There definitely was a gospel uh, of cue, the quail gospel, the, the source gospel. Um, so, and, and I'm not like, I think Bart Ehrman and, and the, these, 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 uh, these are people that are confronting, it's, it's really a rehashing of what happened in Tübingen in Germany a hundred years ago with the philologists that really started studying. And they've been trying to do that with the Quran. So religions uh, have to be able to withstand the assaults of, 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 uh, of um, their critics. So what does the Messiah mean? We believe Jesus was the Messiah, the Messiah. He's called Al-Masih. We also believe in the Antichrist. And, and the Antichrist 
is is uh, the Prophet said something amazing, I think, in a sahih hadith, a sound tradition. He said that every prophet has warned their people about the Antichrist, but I will tell you something that no other prophet told their people. He has one eye, and your Lord does not have one eye. And so, you know, it's very interesting that one eye, you know, this thing, I mean, it's, it's so rife now in our culture, this one eye phenomenon of just, and, and we're in an antichristic age because the thing about Christ, he was warning us about the world. You know, yeah. his, his way is to warn us what, about the what, what does Messiah mean? Messiah, I mean, I mean, mean there, there's there there's difference of opinion, but as you know, in, in Hebrew it means the anointed one, and kings were anointed with oil. Um, uh, Messiah in Arabic, Masaha means to 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 wipe over Yamsah, and so you know this idea. But it also that he was itinerant, that he was always traveling, and th- there there's even an opinion. Uh, some of the Muslims believe he went into India and traveled all over during that period that they call them the lost years of Jesus from 12 to 33. Here's my last question. This has been fun. And I love you, Hamza. And uh, I love talking to you. But here's the last thing I want to ask you. What, uh, when you think about the term, love your neighbor, what does that mean to you? And is there an equivalent in Islam? Well, I, you know, as you know, uh, Luther said that Christ reduced all Ten Commandments to two and, and, and basically love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first three are about God and then the rest are really about your neighbor. Not, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet your neighbor's goods. So it, it really is a valid reduction. Um, and, but extending neighbor beyond just the person that lives next door to me uh, is, is what's important. So Mexico's our neighbor, Canada's our neighbor, um, Europe's our neighbor, uh, Africa's our neighbor. I mean, the whole world, even Asia, which is to the, to the west of us. So we have to extend it beyond. The neighbor in Islam is, is, is very, very highly regarded. In fact, the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu said that Gabriel would come to me uh, and, and, and keep emphasizing the rights of the neighbor until I thought that the neighbor would inherit from me. And we have a beautiful story of one of the companions of the Prophet There was an anthill that he used to go feed every morning. He'd bring out crumbs and somebody asked him and he said, I consider them my neighbors and I don't want them <laughs> complaining about me on the day of judgment. So really taking care of neighbors is mentioned many times in the Quran. And we have many, many stories. In fact, I have uh, Sheikhna, who you know, my teacher, Sheikh Abdullah bin Beya, his son, Sheikhna uh, bin Mahfouz, wanted to actually uh, have a, you know, like they have all these days, Father's Day, Mother's Day. Wow. He wanted to make Neighbor's Day. I like that. Where you actually got to know your neighbors. That's good. Yeah. All right. right. Now, I want to ask you another question. What do you want to know about Texas? Ask me anything. (laughs) Texas history. I mean, dude, I'm your guy. You know, I actually know about Bob Wills. I mean, you don't know the things I know about Texas. I know. See, I know things about Texas that would shock you. Hmm. You know, Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. I mean, who who knows about Bob Wills outside of Texas? 
right? Wow. Unless you're a rockabilly fan. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, no, listen, I love Texas. Uh, believe it or not, some of our best Muslim support is from the, the, the great state of Texas. And yeah. what I would like to know is why the hell have you not um, utilized the fact that you're the only state in the union that can actually secede from well, we the United really, States? We really can't. We really can't. That, a lot of people believe that, but we can't. But here's what we can do. Our flag can fly at the same height of the American flag. Well, there you go. Yeah. And it's the Lone Star State. Yeah, and Texas is the only state that fought for her freedom. Everybody else just got bought. And don't, don't, tell, don't tell the Mexicans that. Right. Huh? Right. <laughs> I know. Your wife will let us have it. Yeah, hey, thank Hamza, you. Hamza Yusuf, I love you, man. I'm grateful for you. Thank and you. Uh, my prayer is that... Uh, God uses you and God uses me to make a lot of peace and to bring a lot of love to the world. The Prophet said, none of you will truly believe until you love one another. Mm. And, and then he said, can I tell you something that if you practice it, you will come to love one another? And they said, yes. And he said, spread peace. Amen. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Bold Love Podcast and being on this storytelling journey with Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. and myself. Uh, We hope that you enjoyed the episode today and hope that you were impacted by the conversation. Again, we would love for you to share this if it impacted you on social media because we want as many people to hear these stories, uh, these uncommon stories of bridge building and peacemaking. And for more information on the podcast, show notes and any references, you can go to bobrobertsjr.com. That's bobrobertsjr.com. Click on podcast and you can get all the information right there. Thank you so much again. We hope you have a blessed day. And remember at the Bold Love Podcast, we want to encourage you to live out your faith boldly, how to better love your neighbor and learn how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. Have a blessed day.